We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. I just want to take a minute and remind you to check out conradchallenge.org and look at the kinds of things you can do to support students. The Conrad Challenge is really about facilitating 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication. So go and check that out at conradchallenge.org. And if you missed my interview with Nancy Conrad, go check that out as well at transformativeprincipal.org slash Nancy Conrad. Hey there, this is Danny Sunshine Bauer from Better Leaders, Better Schools, and the School Leadership Series, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Transformative Principle, episode 246 with Scott Ellis. Scott was a sponsor of the Transformative Leadership Summit with Mastery Track, and I just loved the idea so much I thought you needed to hear it as well as regular listeners of Transformative Principles. So enjoy this conversation. I think that it's great. And one of the things that we talked about afterward was, is this all worth it if there's not automatic grading built in? I think that is such an interesting, challenging question because there's so there's so much attached to that of, you know, if the teacher doesn't ever have to worry about grading, the assessments have to be valid enough and good enough to be able to give us that information, have it be accurate. And so, boy, just a lot of questions there and what an exciting conversation. So 
I hope you enjoy this. And thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. It is an honor to share these amazing educators and leaders with you every single week. So thank you for coming back and uh, sharing these episodes with other people and, and all that. So here's my interview with Scott Ellis. Okay, welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited to have Scott Ellis on the program with me today. Scott is the founder and CEO of Mastery Track, which is a uh, mastery-based solution for keeping track of what your kids are learning, uh, which was also a sponsor of the Transformative Leadership Summit. So I want to say a big thank you to you, Scott, for uh, sponsoring the Leadership Summit. It was amazing, and I greatly appreciate your support. And we had over 16 hours of video watched during those, or 16 days, <laughs> and change in hours of, of video watched during that time. So it was an awesome experience, and I appreciate your support in that. So welcome to Transformative Principle. Hey, great. I'm very happy to be here. And so, you know, one of the things that as I take on sponsors or people have an opportunity to speak to, to my audience, I really try hard to find people who have the same values that I have, that have the same ideas about education that I have so that I have a consistent message and people are able to really engage with those people and the topic. So do you mind giving me a little background about yourself and who you are and how you got to where you are now? Sure. So I'm, I'm one of these crossovers from the, the business world to education and nonprofits. And so I was a, a consultant for a while and then I worked at Hewlett Packard for a long time. Uh, and almost all that time, I really focused on applied analytics uh, to help decision makers. Um, and a lot of that's about figuring out what information and data do people need and how do you display it in a way that enables decision makers to make sense of it all and decide what to do next. Uh, and then over 12 years ago now, I left that world and I've been doing education nonprofit stuff ever since. Uh, I started out with uh, teacher mentoring programs at New Teacher Center. And then I've been working on blended and personalized learning for the last you know, seven or eight years or so. And my, my real focus is how do we help transform education? And a lot of the lens I bring to it is looking at other innovations and in other sectors that have scaled and trying to think about how can we bring some of that to education and, and really cherishing and respecting educators and all the work they do in the classroom to make the magic happen and realizing how critical they are and also thinking about ways that we can give them uh, better tools to help them be successful, help kids be successful. And so I think my my purpose, over, again, over the last decade plus, is really about how do we help support teachers? How do we help support, support students? And then find ways to use technology to make it possible at scale. Yeah, that's the part that I'm so excited about, is making things happen at scale. There are so many things that we can do, you know, just one teacher in a classroom with kids. And then sometimes those things start to fall apart. And so I did not realize, did you call it applied analytics? Yep. Okay, I didn't realize that that's what it was, but now that you described it how you did, I see how Mastery Track does make sense of the information that is in front of people, and that is, I think, one of the challenges in education. Can you talk about why you went down this path of focusing on mastery-based teaching and grading? I mean, I guess there was a first part, which is really thinking about what contribution could I make? I mean, as you say, there are so many educators who are doing such amazing work, and so many organizations that are really pushing forward on so many critical dimensions and trying to think about what expertise and what lens might I have that could be helpful. Uh, and then the second was to think about scale and 
what might that look like? And I do think we're at a unique time in history where the internet obviously is with us, but it's been around long enough that it's becoming part of everyone's daily life. The potential for internet connectivity at a whole new level that's never existed before, not like one connection for the school so the principal can use it, but actually enough so that every student can use it as a core part of the instructional process. And then frankly, innovations like Khan Academy and a lot of other online and software programs that people have gotten used to. And at the same time, seeing Facebook and Twitter and and all these other elements of personalization in our lives. And so you put those pieces together and say, I think there's a unique opportunity have an impact on education at scale by taking these things that are ubiquitous now, that are in all of our schools, all of our kids' lives, all of our teachers' lives, and then combining them so they can come to life in the classroom. And so I you know, did work earlier in my nonprofit career helping to make sure we've got connectivity for all the schools and devices for schools. And we've made a lot of progress there, but I really think the last remaining barrier to enable kind of mastery-based and personalized learning for every school and for every teacher is, is the data, is to enable teachers and students and principals and parents to instantly be able to see where students are in their learning. Because once you've got that information, now we can figure out what to do next. And there are a lot of choices and more and more choices that are out there, but it's tricky. And without that data, it's, it's really hard to make it all happen. And as I've been working in this, you know, this particular kind of blended and personalized learning space for a number of years, my diagnosis is that we're making lots of progress on these other areas and it's happening and schools are getting more comfortable with this. They're getting the resources they need. But this one particular problem about getting access to the data and being able to use it effectively, I think is a key remaining barrier. And it's something that I have ideas about how to address based on my background and, and my previous work, both in the private sector and in education. Yeah. So one of the challenges that we face in education is that we get data, but we always get it as a big picture like school-wide or class-wide, grade-wide kind of data piece. And, you know, I, I said something to to my staff a while ago that was essentially the only data we should care about is the individual student data. And if we look beyond that, then we're missing too much information. We really have to get down and look at each individual student. Can you talk about that a little bit and help me maybe articulate that better or find the flaws in that in that statement that anything more than student data is individual student data is too much for us to look at? Well, I think I definitely agree that getting the individual student data is critical. Uh, I would actually say it's important to be able to aggregate that because we do need to be able to look across classrooms or schools, especially to help kind of manage the instructional process and support teachers. But I think you're really on the right track, which is to be really clear about what data do we actually need? And I think when I think back to applied analytics and, and a big part of my work at, at Hewlett Packard in, in the private sector was I've seen situations before where what I would call a data wave just crashed across an entire company or an entire sector. I saw it happen at HP where we had a change in CEO and the word rippled forth across the company that the new CEO knew numbers. And so you had to bring numbers and he would remember the numbers. And all of a sudden, everyone was an expert in analytics. And everyone was creating all this data and there were all these charts and analyses everywhere. And I ran an advanced analytics organization and had been for several years and looked around and said, what are you all doing? There's data flying around everywhere, but we're not using the right data for the right reason. 
And I think the same thing's happening in education today, where we've got more tools than ever. We've got more data than ever. And I think educators and, and students and principals are really trying to figure out, so how do we use this data effectively to make better decisions to help support teaching and learning? And I think what I would say is very much as you were describing, we need to be crystal clear about what data we actually need. And I really would say there's only one piece of information that we need as a starting point, which is what does the student know? And the lens that I would use is what learning objectives have they mastered? Because if you know that, then you can say, so what might we do next? And so really it's clarity about every student, what do they know? And then you can go to the next level, which is to say, so now what, what next set of information might I get to see which ways of learning work best for them? What could I look at to see why they're where they are now? And I'm totally fine with that, but only once we have crystal clarity about what the students know. And I think if we kind of use that lens to sort of cut through all of the complexity and the formative data and the summative data and the homework and the assignments, et cetera, et cetera, and just say, hang on a second, let's be crystal clear about where every student is in their learning right now. What do they know? Once we have that, then we're ready to make a decision, which is what should we do next? And then some other information may be helpful for us, but not until we have that clarity. So that's how I think about it. Okay, so I like that. And I think that, that that's a good way for me to, to reframe what I'm thinking. So my next question to you then is, one of my fears about data is that we'll now just turn this into some AI program that's going to say, okay, this is where the student is next. And we're going to take the teacher out of it. I think that personally is a horrible idea that we need the teacher there to work with and help understand what the data actually means. Can you talk a little bit about that, about the important role of the teacher in that situation? Well, absolutely. I guess I would say in the work I've chosen to do, I've intentionally worked on blended learning. And what that means to me is it's combining in-person instruction or sorry, combining a great teaching and learning with technology, the two of them together to personalize learning, make it mastery-based, and use real-time data. But it's really about combining great teaching with technology. Um, and I do think that there are online learning programs that are out there, and so there are ways of people learning in those ways for some learners. But if we really want to support 55 million kids, I believe the key is great teaching. But we need to give our teachers better tools. Absolutely. And so for me, that's the starting point. And I do think that, that there is a new job description for teachers as we move forward into the 21st century to take advantage of a lot of the technology. It used to be that the key role for the teacher was to be the source of information, the source of knowledge for the students. And their job was to transmit that knowledge to those learners and help that learning process happen. And I do think that's a big shift where now there are lots of ways for students to learn. And I think... There are so many more, basically so many more tools in the teacher's toolkit to enable teachers to help different learners who have different learning styles or different interests or at different places in their learning. And frankly, to manage the classroom management challenge of how do you help these 30 children in front of you? We all know that they know different things. We all know they're not at the same place. How can you actually manage that learning process without technology and some of these other tools it's extremely difficult to do differentiation at that level, right? It just is, period. But we're now at a unique time where there are new possibilities. And so I think the key role for the teacher is they know things that nobody else knows. They know themselves as educators. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How do they work? How are they going to make the magic happen in the classroom? They know the children in front of them. 
right? Other people don't know them. They know those children. And I think that the role of those teachers is to knowing these children and knowing themselves as educators, how do they use the variety of instructional approaches and tools that are available to help these children learn as much as possible, again, aligned to specific learning objectives that are already defined. So we know the things we want the students to learn, but the magic is how do I use the resources that are out there to help these particular children in this classroom learn? And I think that's the key role of the teacher. We can't make it happen without them, in my view. Yeah, I, I think that's so powerful. And I, I liked a couple of things that you said that I want to just take a, a step back and look at those again. Number one, there's a new job description for a teacher now. I totally agree with that. You don't need to be the source of information anymore. And I feel like that is a relief off of my shoulders that I don't have to have all the answers. What I need to be better at doing is helping kids find the answers to the questions that they ask. And then more important than that is getting them to ask questions that have meaning, you know? So I was in a class today and the teacher did a, um, did a, a little scavenger hunt where they asked very specific questions and the questions pretty much had just one right answer in the teacher's mind. And what was amazing is that as kids used the resources they had in front of them, they found different answers to those questions so that the references that he was making were not the same as what the kids were making because of their different social context. So he thought that one thing meant this and the kids said, oh no, it actually means this. And it's like a type of shoe now. And he's like, a type of shoe? That doesn't make any sense. This is what it means to me. And he's not that much older than them, but he already, you know, is, it has this different paradigm. And thankfully he handled it so well where he was like, this is a great lesson in how there are different meanings for different things. We need to pay attention to it. And it was just awesome to see how he maneuvered that and, and rolled with it instead of saying, no, I'm right. This is what it's supposed to be. You guys are all wrong. He, he actually rolled with it. And I thought it was really powerful. The other thing I want to talk about real quick is one of the complaints that I've heard about personalized learning is that teachers are saying, we're going to have all these kids in all these different places. And what are we going to do? And it's like, you've always had kids in different places and you just haven't ever adapted to them. And now we're asking you to adapt to them when they're in those different places. How, when you said that differentiation was difficult with that many kids and in that different system, how do we manage that day to day with those 30 kids in our class that are truly all in different places? And now we know that because we have the data. How do we manage that? Yeah, I do definitely want to emphasize what you said, which is, the children are at different places in their learning. This is true. Whether we do anything about it is a choice. And I think a key enabler of doing something about it is having the data, because now not only do we know that the kids are in different places, but we know what the gaps are. And then I think this enables the educator to say, okay, so what's my plan? What's my strategy? Here's where they are today. How do I help these children all move forward? Um, and I do think this is where we talked about some of these new tools and technologies that I described are there make things possible in new ways. Um, and so, you know, over the last several years, there's been a lot of work done to look at things like station rotation models and other models where effectively we're saying, how do I set up environments within a single classroom where as a teacher, I can use my time either with individuals or small groups? Because a lot of that's where the magic of a lot of learning happens is the teacher as the expert in the room who's kind of in charge of the overall educational progress of the kids can intervene and use their time to maximum benefit. 
And so the question is, so what are the other children doing while this is happening? And I think increasingly now, because of the qualities of resources that are available and more established classroom practices, this, this becomes feasible where you either see folks say, I'm going I'm to have the, the students working in, in three different groups, for example, and one of the groups works with me in small groups, one of them's working on projects, one of them's working independently. You see lots of varieties of this, but the key is effective other uh, educational processes happening that are not driven by the teacher, right? The teacher is not imparting instruction. And many times the most powerful learning is happening when students are teaching other students or when they're working together to solve problems. I think the key that I've seen as I'm in more and more schools that have classrooms like this is the teacher having a clear plan and knowing what it is they're actually trying to make happen in the classroom, spending the early part of the year helping to establish those routines and processes with the students so they understand what, what we're doing and how this all works together. And then over time, what you see in classes where, where this is well established, even with very young children, elementary school, et cetera, is when the time comes and we're going to rotate stations, et cetera, the teacher gives the appropriate signal, gets stopped, they get organized. When they're ready, they move on to the next activity. Um, and it works very smoothly. But it doesn't just happen. It is all managed by an effective educator. And again, you know, to your point, Teachers, in my view, don't need to spend time breaking down standards anymore. We have, we have learning objectives, right? They don't need to go looking for curricula. Increasingly, people find these resources and then they're available for folks. There are a lot of things teachers don't have to do. And increasingly, they don't have to spend all their time in front of the class lecturing. You take all that saved time and use it to analyze data and see where students are, to understand the resources that are available and then to build a plan for how to manage this kind of interaction in the classroom. And then early in the year to work with students to put in place the processes and agreements in the classroom so it, it works. And then to manage this teaching and learning process. And that's what the teacher's job looks like. And that's what makes it possible for different children in the same classroom to be learning different things. Um, because we know they're all at different places in their learning. And now we can do something like it. We can do something about it in ways we never could before. Yeah. The hope there is really that we're going to actually do that. So, you know, just take that back to the classroom level. When I was still a teacher over a decade ago, and I still teach, don't worry. But like when I was in the classroom, I had 36 kids in every class, six periods per day. And that was a lot of kids for me to get through. And I was doing my administrative internship and I went to an elementary school and I did an alternative routes to becoming a teacher. So I was a English major in college and then decided I wanted to be a teacher. And so I didn't have a lot of like instruction in how to be a teacher, but there are certain things that, you know, you just know that, that good teachers know, and there are certain things that you learn. And I went into these elementary classrooms and they were doing these guided reading circles and they were rotating the kids to their class. And I was like, man, that is brilliant. And I didn't realize it was called station rotation at the time or anything like that. But I decided that I was going to do that. And each group that came to me was going to get a lesson for them based on what they needed, where they were at. And I was doing the best I could, but I'm sure that I screwed it up royally numerous times. But, you know, I was just so excited to be able to like really meet my kids where they were at. It was an empowering feeling to spend that time with them and get to know them better and understand who they were and what they knew better in that process. I just thought that was amazing and I loved every minute of it. And it was definitely my best year teaching because of that. 
And, but that took a lot of work. That took a lot of effort. I didn't have the data at all. You know, that was a long time ago in technology years. So now teachers have all this stuff and mastery track is one of those things that they can use. Can you talk just a little bit about how they could use that on a daily basis to inform their instruction? No, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a first piece, which is it is challenging, right? I, I, I want to say this is innovation. This is new and we're making progress, but it's not all solved yet. And I think what I'm looking forward to is a day where this is just learning. It's not blended learning. This is how it works. And so the way that I would describe how the sequence works in my view, and I've seen this happen in some classrooms that are using mastery track and other systems. And so I'm excited about it. It is real, but this is the, this is the path, which is Step one is you start with your dashboard. You start with looking and seeing, so where are students in their learning? Where are my kids now? There's a second step, which may be, okay, so, so why are they there? And again, if we're talking about this is, you know, in the middle of November, it's not like we're starting from nothing. So you, there's been a trajectory here where you see, so where are the kids now? What's different about where they are now than what I expected? So for example, there may be a couple students that you thought were ready to demonstrate mastery. They tried to demonstrate mastery and they did not succeed. It's like, oh, well, I, I thought they were ready. What happened? So there's a little bit of diagnosing. But step one is, so where are the kids now? Step two then is looking and saying, all right, so what are the next set of objectives for these kids? What, what learning do we want to have happen next? And then step three is, so given these, these groups of kids, what's the plan? What's the plan of attack? Um, and again, is a situation that I've got, um, I've got, for example, most kids need exposure to a new concept. So it could be that in some cases, the most effective approach is direct instruction to a large group, right? Is it is in many ways efficient for certain kinds of situations. And so it could be the case that we've got a lot of kids that need to learn something that that's a way of providing an introduction to it. You could have, you know, say two or three different groups of kids that are at very different levels or working on different objectives. And so then the plan might look more like a traditional station rotation, which is I'm going to group these kids. I'm going to work with them here. These other kids are going to work on something else. And then we certainly have situations where you've got a small number of students who are in a very different place than other students or have gaps, for example. And then we might say, okay, as a teacher, I need to make sure that I find a way to reach those individual students, right? What do we do about that? And as more and more schools and classrooms are implementing things like this, we're seeing folks do things like run roughly a two-week cycle, right? If we think about this sort of cycle time, um, we have some situations where they say, well, that we want to have certain points over a, a kind of a certain amount of learning period where, I, where I'm doing explicit check-in or explicit opportunities for demonstrate mastery, et cetera. There are some situations where folks say, I want to have an individual student-teacher conference about learning as part of the learning period. So over the course of two weeks, there will be a conference for every student with the teacher where there is that individual check-in and then different types of learning happening across that. And, and I describe this two-week situation because we see a lot of folks where they say, look, I'm going to try and do, you know, a, a three-day cycle. I'm going to try and do stuff over a week, et cetera. And there is this ongoing innovation of saying, so, so what's working? Am I able to get to the material that I need to? Am I able to reach the different kids? How wide is the range of learning levels in my classroom, which, again, dictates, you know, how easy or hard is it going to be to reach everybody? And so we see innovation like that happening where as more folks try it, they're putting together what does the day-to-day or week-to-week routine look like so we can manage this challenge. But I think it starts with data. It starts with clarity about what we want the students to learn. And then it starts with these children. And then from there, it's about building a plan using the learning resources that are available, software programs, other materials, et cetera, um, and then the classroom management to make it work. Yeah, amazing. And 
what what I love about what you do, Scott, is you work with the teachers directly on implementing Mastery Track in their classrooms, which I think is such a generous thing that you do. I just I love it. And you've been working with some of the teachers at my school and they have given me updates. And it's just amazing to know that there's somebody else having this conversation with them that can actually like show how it's going to be implemented. So how do people learn more about uh, Mastery Track and connect with you, Scott? Well, so there is our website, masterytrack.org. And it's, you know, one word, Mastery Track, um, just like it sounds. And so anyone can go see what the system is, see how it works, but also see a lot of the principles behind it. Because part of Mastery Track's goal is to be a solution and, and educators can use it and are using it. We've got thousands of kids using it. But it's also to be an illustration to say, if you want kids to move at their own pace, some things must be true. And, and can Mastery Track be helpful in, in helping people think about how to make this happen? So that's step one is to look at the Mastery Track website. And then on the website, there's a contact us button and educators can, can click that. It sends an email to me. Uh, I had six teachers contact me in the last two days. And I've been reaching out to all of them Excellent. from folks around the country. And I was talking with a couple others today. We've got other educators implementing it. And this is the time of year when this is all happening. But it's fundamentally, um, go to the website. You can see a demo of the system. You can, you can log in as a demo teacher or a demo student. You can actually assign objectives or assessments to students. And you can see what the dashboard looks like. And step one is that. And then you can also email me directly at you know, scott.ellis at masterytrack.org. And I think that's the best starting point because it's very straightforward to learn about. And then if you're interested in exploring it further, I'm happy to have those conversations. Great. That's fantastic. So my final question is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? I I guess I do really believe that enabling students to move, to learn at their own pace is the next transformational opportunity in education. And so I think for a principal, the key is to learn about what this means and then to genuinely embrace it if your district is ready or your school is ready, or if not, to start asking the question to set your school down that path. Because I think we live in the 21st century. It's all about personalization. Kids are, they're living in a totally personalized world at home and they go to classrooms and, and they're back in the 1950s in some cases. Yeah. We can do better. And I think the key really is enabling students to, to learn at their own pace as they master content. And I think a lot of it starts with leadership as we're, as we have more and more of the tools and capabilities ready, the key is for leaders to say, I understand what this is, and we're going to move in this direction. And either we're ready and we're going to make it happen now, or if we're not ready, then we're going to commit to learning and getting ready so we can make it happen. Yeah, excellent advice. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been an honor chatting with you, and thanks for being part of Transformative Principle. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed that interview. I think Scott is definitely an exciting person to talk to. And I hope you, if you're looking at mastery-based learning and tracking it, definitely check out his website, masterytrack.org. And it is free for teachers and it is free for you to use. So go check it out. And he does have one-on-one help and support, making sure everybody gets set up. And it's awesome. So thanks again to Scott. And um, I hope you enjoyed this. If you wouldn't mind going into iTunes and leaving me a rating and review, I'd greatly appreciate it. That makes it so that other people can see and hear the podcast easier. And I'm honored that you listen. So thank you very much. Have a wonderful night or day, whatever it is.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.